FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. This is Saswa, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Southeast Ohio. It's not Alaska, but it's close in some ways. It's really, we are really close. Geographically, we are as close as you can get to Alaska in America. <laughs> Alaska is America. What? What? (laughs) Listen, uh, I know people all around this great country of 49 states that would would argue with you. Um, We're going to dig back into the Alaskan Bigfoot stories. But before we do that, um, we're going to do a little bit of catch up here. Uh, You wanted to know about my television experience. I did. Now that I've already... Take us behind the scenes. Yeah. I've introduced our listeners to the concept of pooking, if you listened to last week's episode. Yeah. Uh, Keep it up, people. Yeah. Yeah. Usage usage equals acceptance. Definite uh, continuity between this episode and the last one. So you're definitely going to want to go back, look up pooking, and then join us again. Um, Yeah. So so we got a phone call on uh, Monday this past week from local WKYC uh, Channel 3 News, which is, I found out from a little bit of research, I think it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest news station in at least Northeast Ohio, but it possibly all of Cleveland for sure, from what I could tell, their ratings are the highest. Um, so they wanted to have us in to talk about uh, Minerva Monster. A couple things about this. One, I'm fascinated by like what, good something like this does because like the entire reason we went on the show was because we are doing our final like theater screening of Minerva Monster tomorrow or when you're hearing this it will have been over a week ago uh in in uh Kent Ohio so we were going on to kind of promote that fact so I'm very curious to see how that works like do we actually end up getting a, a large churn out of people because they saw us on TV or is it like a couple of people that saw us on TV and they just decided to come out it's it's really difficult to tell um and as it gets the other thing that I'm I'm wondering is like as it gets later into the summer does interest in bigfoot die down doesn't it seem to you like interest in bigfoot is at its peak during spring and early summer i think so it makes a whole lot of sense because if you at all have the opportunity to get out there then there you go right Um, so we went to uh wkyc up in cleveland and it was me and my wife and brandon dalo who is the producer on beast of white hall coming soon to a monitor near you um and it was honestly the entire experience was 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 not uh anything like i thought it would be i thought i'd be extremely nervous pooking all over the place and instead <laughs> it was it was pretty tame. It was like I got in there and sat down and Jim Donovan and whoever the other lady was that were doing the news, we actually sat in the news 
in like the set the set for the for the news oh yeah um and we were at that table we were at if you've watched the interview you can go on the small town monsters facebook page check it out but um or i guess i can post it on the sasquatch page but we were sitting at that table the entire time they were recording the opening part of the news so that was a fascinating experience And, and the most fascinating thing about the whole thing was that they there's no sound on the set like I never knew that. There's no you can't actually hear the news. I I'm assuming that the anchors have cuz I saw the one dude had an earpiece, so I don't know if that's where he's hearing things or what. But like everything seems to be directed by the the guy, the young we were I mean this guy that took us in there and sat us down and kind of was directing the whole show was like just out of college he looked like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really curious to me. I mean, it was it was all like a, a real learning experience. Um, as far as the what I th- like, if I was to give some sort of like uh, insight into how I thought the the news media approached Bigfoot, I think it was the exact way you would expect them to. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, what what was it that was wandering Ohio? <laughs> kind of like really exaggerated. Yes. You know, kind of thing. But honestly, you know, th- there was some crappy news this week. I mean, there was like a, a major shooting that just happened the next day after all this went down and stuff. And it was like, I mean, I think people like these stories just because it gets them out of that kind of like the real world headspace for a little while. Not mm-hmm. that I'm saying this, that Minerva Monster is a real world, but it gives them something else to focus on besides, you know, murder and mayhem all over America. Um so I thought that was kind of cool. The The coolest thing about the interview was he spent a ton of time focusing on Brandon and Brandon's um, process for doing the music. And Brandon did all the music for Minerva Monster, and he did a fantastic job. And I think Brandon's done maybe, off the top of my head, I can only think of one interview he's done. But I think we talked to him on here at some point maybe about it. I might be wrong. We might not have. Yeah, we did. Yeah, okay. He's been on. Okay, so... Yeah. I don't think Brandon had really got an opportunity to talk about the music other than when we recorded Shannon's show, and that's not out yet. So it was really cool, because I think we were on there for three minutes and 25 seconds, and I think probably at least two minutes of that was entirely dedicated to Brandon getting to talk about the musical side of things, which is is really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it was cool for Brandon, too. So, Um, uh, But overall, the experience was really fun and kind of... You know, I, I guess it was a learning one. We got to kind of be educated on how a television news studio works, and so it was exciting. And I'll post—I can post a link to the interview on here. So I didn't get to talk about Sasquatch at all, although I heard today—I don't know if this is true—I've heard at least two times where news media mentioned Sasquatch because of the fact that it's mentioned in my bio that goes along with like our press kit. Oh, so that's kind of cool. I think yeah. I think the names out there like beyond just you know locals kind of <laughs> uh, local yokels. I'm just kidding. We love the locals. You're our <laughs> Northeast Ohio peeps. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was cool how much uh, they featured the town of Minerva also, like in the still mm-hmm. pictures that they showed. And I sent uh, Minerva yeah. Monster Day. I, that was cool. I sent all that stuff. Um, I was the one that picked out all the photos that went. So I, th- I was so excited. My dad made it into two of those photos. Matt Harris was in one of them. Yeah, um, Matt Harris who did the illustrations for Minerva. So uh, yeah, it was a, it was a cool experience, and and the movie got repped really well. You know, they ran uh, an entire little section of the movie, and 
And it's trippy to watch because it's like, oh, that's me on TV. <laughs> I thought I came across really arrogant. Um, arrogant, really? Yeah, yeah. When I told Adrian this, she said I'm the most paranoid person she knows. But like, <laughs> I just felt like when I watched back, I was like, man, I, I, kinda, yeah. I think I came across kind of like a jerk in that. But I'm not sure. So listeners, well, you- feel free to watch and let me know what a jerk I am. <laughs> you could have mixed in a smile. Yeah, there. I don't do that. I don't think that that uh, comes across as arrogance, though. Yeah, he looks S- very serious, like the serious filmmaker auteur. Oh yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's- people, <laughs> people are always like, "Oh my god, it's Orson Welles." I'm like, "No, no, I'm Seth Breedlove." Yeah, um, all no, right. but you you did really well. It, okay. it came across very uh, professionally. Cool, and uh, it was just. Kind of wild to see Jim Donovan talking to you guys. Okay. Normally, normally he's doing that same sort of talking, but it's about the Browns. Or see, something. everyone I know has been like, wow, you got to talk to Jim Donovan. I'd never heard of this guy. When he <laughs> walked up to us, I said, I said, well, you're pretty good at what you do. That's what I said. <laughs> I had no idea who this guy was. How long you been doing this, man? Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, you've, it, it seems it really seems like you've had some practice. Uh, yeah, so that's embarrassing. Later on, I found out that like everyone knows that guy. Um, so anyway, uh, Alaskan Bigfoot. Let's get back into it. Yes, we were talking last week about kind of the disappearances and the violent side of the Alaskan Bigfoot. I can't find. On, and I'm not exaggerating, and I'm sure they're out there, but I personally, in the in the minimal amount of time I spent researching this, could not find any non-violent, in some way, Bigfoot stories. And they're either terrorizing people, or killing them, or abducting children in the night, or like, it's almost every story I found. And um, like I, I told you that stat in the last episode about uh, what did I say? It's ten or it's five in every one thousand people go missing in Alaska, and that is supposedly a, a true, a true fact. But here's another true fact about Alaska, which I have just found today. It's um, I'm just going to say it's it's America's um, rape capital. That is a true story. And in fact, for every 293 people in Alaska, uh, there are, wait, there's one, yeah, one sex offender for every 293 people in Alaska. Also, I guess the crime rate there is crazy, which seems weird, right? Because it doesn't seem like it should be extremely, you know, because it's so rural. Um, it does say many of these crimes are committed by Native American Alaskas in rural areas away from law enforcement. And I thought that was an extremely telling observation is if we're talking about an area that is, you know, where all these people are going missing, all this stuff's happening. You're also in an area that is extremely isolated. People go missing while hiking. People go missing while driving back roads. Yeah. You're in a place where if you go 10 feet off a road in a blizzard, you're done. Like, there's also grizzly bears and elk and, like, any number of things that can kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also the fact that it is apparently crime-ridden, which I would never have thought of. Yeah. Um, but it is. It's, it's, a, it's a fact. And it's very easy, I would think, to make people disappear out there once you've... And I'm not shooing away the idea of like Bigfoot's abducting people. Um, and in all, all honesty, it seems like there's a, 
a really rich history of that kind of thing taking place there, or at least folklorically, people are trying to. So, so that's an interesting question to bring up here. Uh, is the history of this more rooted in the fact that people were just trying to explain to themselves or folklorically explain to themselves why so many people were going missing? Have people always gone missing in these numbers there? Is this more of a recent thing? Because it does seem historically you do hear a lot about abductions in Alaska, obviously, because I was reading about the 1900s earlier, and that was the same thing. And same thing with potluck or whatever potluck what what is this potluck alaska potluck alaska classic <laughs> people uh, poop there all the time <laughs> uh they're swedish meatballs um i have no idea what i'm talking about I'm just saying words yeah well in everything that you described about the the crime and uh, the danger i mean it suggests the wild west in mm-hmm. many ways yeah Sort of a frontier, you know. It is a frontier, just many, you know, for for many all intents and purposes. And it sounds like you know you pretty much have to think about things in terms of defending yourself. You're not, you can't depend on law enforcement to come and defend you when you're, you know, so far separated from your nearest neighbor. And, well, that's the, that's the other thing about Alaska, and I know this from missionaries who used to come to our church that were missionaries to Alaska. The suicide rate over there is obscenely high, um, especially during the times of the year where it never gets dark. Mm. Um, I guess that's like a particular time of year where people just off themselves. Um, so that's another thing to take into account, because if you're saying, okay, so five in a thousand go missing, how many of those are suicides? How many of those are people that go missing during hiking in mm-hmm. an area that is extremely difficult to hike or just survive in in general? I don't know if you've seen the movie Into the Wild. It's one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. I watch it constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, that th- th- that movie set in Alaska, this kid goes to Alaska, eats the wrong berries, and ends up dying in a, in a truck, which they actually don't know definitively that that is how he died. Hmm. I don't know if you knew that. Um, have you read the book? Into the Wild? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. Yeah, they talked a little bit about that, and they mentioned that there was like a hiker or something, or a couple hikers or brothers or something that were out there beforehand, or there's mm-hmm. there's there's some mysterious things to that case yeah. that aren't just a cut and dry, this guy accidentally killed himself in the wild kind of thing. Sure. Um, well, I mean, you talk about motive and opportunity with crime. I mean, mm-hmm. think of the opportunity that that presents. Where right. It's two against one. And there's nobody around for a hundred miles. Right, it's it's terrifying mm-hmm. in a way if you let yourself think about it like that. And then factor in grizzly bears and mm-hmm. wolves and all the things that roam around there that can kill you. And it's, I think it's there's there's a lot more explanations to the amount of disappearances that take place there than Bigfoot is abducting almost everyone they see. Um, and I'm again, I'm not explaining that away. I'm not explaining away Bigfoot, possibly, if they exist, abducting people. Um, and I think we've talked about it on the show before. I'm not a missing 411 fanatic, but I think it could conceivably happen on, on the odd occasion that uh, some sort of upright, walking, hair-covered, intelligent creature could take someone for a meal. You know, why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they're desperate enough, mm-hmm. that seems plausible. Mm-hmm. Now, having said all this, I don't know if you don't. I don't know if you want to go in this direction right now. But there are 
numerous reports of fairly uh, benign encounters with Bigfoot from Alaska. It's Good. not all attack mode. See, you've stuff. you've you've read more than I have on this. So yeah, let's let's go into that direction because I want to hear this for myself. Okay. Well, there is a whole subgroup of reports that you know center around the water and Bigfoot encountering people on boats most of the time either fishermen or hunters and one of those in particular is extremely uh it just gives you pause it makes you wonder what was going on there and I'll get there second but the first one I want to reference is uh took place off the coast of uh, Prince of Wales Island it was related to Alley in 2000, but it happened in 1951 or 52. Uh, there's this little boy who was working with his grandfather on a 36-foot fishing boat uh, somewhere on Prince of Wales Island. Doesn't remember the exact location, but they anchored uh, up close to shore one nice evening and went to bed. After midnight, I had got up to go on deck, uh, the experiencer writes, as we had no facilities inside the cabin, as I flipped open the cabin door onto the deck, I felt the boat rock, and right in front of me in my flashlight beam was this tall, hair-covered man-like creature climbing up over the side of the boat, all wet. He was dark brown or black. As soon as he saw me, he just kicked off backwards into the water with a big splash. Granddad came up quick and looked with me, but it wasn't swimming on the surface anywhere. Then, just a few seconds later, we could see the seven- or eight-foot figure stand up out of the shallows about 40 yards away. It stood up on two legs and walked straight up into the forest. It sure covered that distance underwater fast. Granddad saw it, too, and he got real scared. He pulled the anchor and started the engine right away, and we got out of there. We kept moving for a time until we got to another anchorage late that night. In almost 50 years on the water, that was the only time I seen one of those things. Hmm. I love and, that account. Yeah. Yeah. swimming that's that's awesome Reminds it is awesome that. and it it factors into not only modern sighting reports but also the native stories about the creature itself mm-hmm. and it seems like the the main feature of the swimming that takes place is that it's done almost exclusively underwater when you have an alaskan bigfoot going from one place to the other aquatically he's doing it under the water and Allie gets into some speculation as to why that might be and and how Bigfoot does it but it's it's an underwater phenomenon where he will just pop up next to a boat or in the this case that you just heard um go down into the water and come up you know 40 yards away close to shore and makes his escape hmm. that's awesome the Oh, I, it, it did just bring to mind two other non-violent, and these were featured on some Destination America um, episode about, I think it was actually the pilot episode for that show, uh, Monsters and Mysteries, but the one that focused on Alaska, and they talked about, there was that guy who was like a boat captain, and he saw uh, a grizzly uh, get spooked by something, and it turned out it was a, a Bigfoot come came out of the woods toward it i can't remember i almost think they got in a fight but i i think what actually happened is that the the grizzly got so spooked by the size of this thing that it turned and ran and that was the first time i heard someone refer to a bigfoot that was like 12 feet tall wow. which is a kind of an ongoing thing in alaska there's frequently they're talked about as being insanely tall like insanely massive uh even in comparison with the 
you know, typical kind of Pacific Northwest Bigfoot. But the other one is the story about the the uh, Alaska Alaskan Native Native Americans that were in their truck. I think it was like three of them. It was like a lady and her brothers, and they they were they went to an abandoned campground at like a state park or a national park, and they fell asleep in the front of the car. And the lady woke up in the middle of the night, and there were like two Bigfoots kind of walking right around the car. And they walked, the one walked like right up to the window and kind of peered in at her. Hmm. And it doesn't seem terribly violent. So I guess I spoke too soon when I said they're all killing people. I got excited. You know, I love the idea <laughs> of the abducting murderous Bigfoot. Yeah. Well, and you know, there's, there's so much food for thought there, uh, pun intended, I guess, because, you know, if you're talking about a larger creature, that can survive in harsher conditions, that, that that makes sense. But it also then suggests something large like that needs more food mm-hmm. just to survive. Mm-hmm. And so his reasons for going after people, uh, that sort of suggests itself in that case. Well, there's, there's also this example in nature of, like, given the territory, the, the animals can grow to almost any size. Like, I mean, not, you know, like any size, but, but there's the, the, this, the thing that springs to mind, obviously, is like these massive catfish that swim around under dams where all this water pools and there's extra water and they're down there and they grow up to like, I mean, cause that's documented. There's like eight foot long catfish. There's mm-hmm. massive catfish. Um, and then you think of like the ocean and, and blue whales and great white sharks that grow to be 23 feet long. Like that one they just found or that massive alligator that they pulled out of that lake in, where was that? Like Louisiana or something that was 920 pounds and 13 feet long. Um, that it almost makes sense in for, for, from a nature, you know, biologically, it would almost make sense if, if you're in the last great American wilderness where the least densely populated state where you have a 17 million acre national forest teeming with wildlife, you know, every kind of, I mean, the fishing in Alaska is renowned. So, I mean, you've got endless amounts of, of fishing and or you know because the the bigfoot's out there with his rod and lure <laughs> and um I just, it just it makes a certain sense to me for them to be that big mm-hmm. i would discount a 12 foot bigfoot if i heard it in ohio frankly yeah but in in a place like alaska or that kind of canadian wild i could mm-hmm. i could buy into it yeah definitely well i teased this story so i feel like i have to pay it off mm-hmm. and if you like if you like the first one, I think you'll really like this one, too. Um, this report was taken in 99. It happened in the summer of 1979. Uh gentleman was working on the west coast of Baranoff Island, which I d- actually checked on a map, and that is that island is sort of the last barrier between Alaska and the Pacific Ocean. So it, wow. is, right, it is right on the ocean itself. So they are... On the coast of that, the west coast, so the Pacific Ocean side, they were in a 52-foot boat, uh, some, sometimes used as a fish packer. It was late. Uh, they were just finishing anchoring up for the night, about 100 yards from shore, and they were settled in. His crew was below, tending to securing the gear, and I'll, he picks it up from there. I'll just read his quote. I was alone in the cabin, resting at the galley table with the starboard porthole window open above my elbow, 
With the cabin light on as usual, it was dark outside. Just then I felt something lift my right arm and looked up to see a huge hairy arm bigger than a gorilla's reaching through the porthole and lifting my arm. Its arm was covered with dark brown fur and I could see the whole forearm up to near the elbow. The hand was palm up and huge, being about three times the size of a human hand. The skin was a dirty brownish gray color. The whole of the arm except the palm side of the hand was covered with a four inch dark brown or black hair. I could not tell if there was a thumb. I wasn't being squeezed or anything, just lifted up, and I would have to say it felt gentle. But I can tell you I hollered and pulled my arm away, and I didn't even look outside. I got the engine started and the crew to pull anchor, and we moved north up the channel about five or six miles to a new spot before deciding that would be a better spot to anchor for the night. We didn't hear or see anything else that time. And Allie goes on to say that the report was corroborated by a nephew of the witness, did not differ in any manner from the eyewitness account. Uh, his description of the large hand size and grayish pigmented skin accord well with other close-range observations of Sasquatches, Allie writes. Two things in the report are striking as supportive of typical Sasquatch anatomy and behavior, and this is one thing that just sort of caught my attention for some reason. Allie says, one is that although the skipper states his arm was picked up by a large hand, its thumb was not in any way noticeable to him. While this might not seem likely were a human to lift another's arm, the Sasquatch thumb has been mentioned as being set further back, not as fully opposed as a human's thumb. This attribute has been studied in detail by Grover Krantz, working from a collection of casts of Sasquatch hand imprints. It is his conclusion that the thumb may be fully opposable, but not with sufficient palm musculature to rotate with great strength. The function of a Sasquatch grasp would not be compromised by this in any way, as there are a number of other grasps that all primates use with strength and precision. The other attribute mentioned the gentle nature of the animal's actions. Hmm. Well, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about this one. It's called The Strangest Story Ever Told, published in a short booklet in 1953 by Harry Culp. Do you know about this one, Mark? It's not familiar to me, no. Okay. Um, I found the actual section of the book, so I'm going to read just a, a segment here. But basically, it's this guy, Harry, who's wandering around the wilds, and he's doing something out there, but I don't know what he's doing. So I'm just going to say he's wandering about. Um, it, 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 we kind of pick up, he's, uh, it says, satisfied with that, I turned half around to get back to get a backsight on some mountain peaks and lying below me on the other side of the ridge from the ledge was the half moon lake the Indian had told me about. Right there, fellows, I got the scare of my light. I hope to God I never see or go through the likes of it again. Swarming up the ridge toward me from the lake were the most hideous creatures. I couldn't call them anything but devils, as they were neither men nor monkeys, yet looked like both. They were entirely sexless, their bodies covered with long, coarse hair, except where the scabs and running sores had replaced it. Each one seemed to be reaching out for me and striving to be the first to get me. The air was full of their cries, and the stench from their sores and bodies made me faint. I forgot my broken gun and tried to use it on the first ones, and then I threw it at them and turned and ran. God, how I did run. I could feel their hot breath on my back. Their long, claw-like fingers scraped my back. The smell from their steaming, stinking bodies was making me sick while the noises they made, yelling, screaming, and breathing, drove me mad. Reason left me. How I reached the canoe or how I hung on to that piece of quartz is a mystery to me. When I came to, it was night, and I was lying in the bottom of my canoe, drifting between Thomas Bay and Sukhoi Island, cold, hungry, and crazy for a drink of water. But only to satisfy the latter urge, I started for blah, blah, blah. It goes on. Anyway, this is apparently an extremely famous story 
in Alaskan Bigfoot lore. Uh, the strangest story ever told. Every single article I found about Bigfoot uh, in Alaska, actually written in Alaska, they reference it. So it must be a big deal to Alaskans, um, if someone could back that up. And Mike Mays mentions it in his article on Texas Cryptid Hunter, too, when he was talking about potluck. Um, <laughs> uh, so... So yeah, but, uh, that's what I the the story I was referencing when I said swarming. You know, kind of this idea of, of thousands of Bigfoot swarming over the the hills, and so there's also and I'm not sure if it's shot in Alaska, but there was this IMAX video. I think it is. There was an IMAX video that supposedly played in movies, and and it may or may not have had a Bigfoot in one of mm-hmm. the scenes. Was that shot in Alaska? Am I wrong? Oh, I don't know. I think it was I don't Alaska. Know. It se- it seems like that's. Where yeah. it was. Yeah, there's there are video. Uh, I found a couple of videos online that purport to be of of Bigfoots. So you can you can do your own research into that. But obviously, I mean, we're barely scraping the surface here of of Bigfoot in Alaska stories. And this was an episode uh, subject that had actually been requested by a couple listeners, which was also cool because uh, Mark had been wanting to talk about it for a while too. So. I'm glad we got to uh, kind of dig into it. And Seth, I just I just searched on YouTube, mm-hmm. Bigfoot Alaska, and one of the first things that pops up it's all caps Bigfoot tribe attacks. There it is. <laughs> is it actual video of that? It's what? Yeah, it's, it's a minute and minute seven. Okay, I don't know what it purports to show. I don't know Alaska Alaska bear viewing webcam. Oh wow. Uh, Automatic bear viewing footage. Are you watching it right now? I, I am watching it, yes. Oh, yeah, I've got it too now. Bigfoot, okay, I'm watching as well. This is great for our listeners. I'll, uh, <laughs> I, I could probably include some audio here so you kind of had an idea of what we were watching, but it, it wouldn't be the same. I'm going to so fast forward. Yeah. So there's nothing. Looks like some grainy kind of... They're saying this is a bear cam? Yes, bear viewing like... webcam. And there's nothing. Oh, come on. That's a that's a ripoff. Nothing. Another you know, I I thought we'd finally found proof that there was a Bigfoot tribe attack and it does not appear to to be factual. Did you see the end? Yeah, I watched all the <laughs> way through. It looked like the um seventy six King Kong. I thought it looked like that Bigfoot was pooking. <laughs> I think he was. Do you want to? He's going to ra- you probably for stealing his phrase. On that note, do you want to wrap us up? The final frontier. I don't know if Alaska, um, if there is a place on Earth that still fits the bill, Alaska would be it. And it sounds as if that uh, you know it can be a pretty wild place. Just talking about human beings and what happens to people in isolation and when they think nobody's watching. Uh, I think the statistics suggest that uh, people sort of revert to their baser nature, perhaps. Um, and so it just raises all kinds of questions, as you've heard in the, the tales that we've told here tonight, of uh, a wilder Bigfoot than we're used to hearing about, uh, one that is uh, maybe driven to various heinous actions out of a sense of desperation. And... Um, I, as you said, I think 
that we need to talk about Alaska a little bit more because there is a wealth of reports here that are just not as well known, but I think have a lot to say. <laughs> Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breeds Love. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Mm-hmm.